Welcome to a new episode of The Brand Called You. Um, I've brought many, many accomplished people to you over the last year or so. Today I have a friend, someone who's achieved a lot in journalism, someone who's written a lot of books, and someone who's an economic analyst. Pranjal Sharma, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ashutosh. Glad to be here. When we were talking just before we started, you were telling me you had three avatars. And uh, I'd like to cut straight to the chase and say, tell me about the three lives that you've been through and where are you today? <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so I like to say I'm in three careers uh, because I started with print media. And in many ways, my career coincided with the economic reforms journey of India uh, from 1990-91. I spent uh, almost more than a decade in print media uh, with publications like Economic Times and India Today Group. And it was quite fascinating because suddenly there was a huge demand for people who could write or understand and talk about economic changes and business issues. Even something like we used to have things like the Capital Controller of India, which was a body which would decide the stock prices of, of companies who were going to the market. So when I seen that, and then, uh, uh, you know, thanks to again that the liberalization in, in media happened with the private broadcasters to, were allowed to to operate and again today it's difficult to imagine but at that time we just had uh, the national uh, broadcaster to to view uh, across various uh, uh, options that they served mm -hmm. and then i had an option to join that uh, broadcast sector because you know media was transitioning to video uh, and broadcast and that was a natural thing for me to do but uh, that ended too as well uh, and i have now in the last few years been on on my own and I was, uh, I like to say that I'm in the category of educated and employed. Mm -hmm. And even the first part is uh, often in question. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's also allowed me to do a lot of different things because I've been freed from the tyranny of, of uh, organization. I think the joys and the tyrannies of an organization. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's a third career is a phase where I'm also trying things which I never thought I would uh, do. Planned, unplanned, anticipated, and unanticipated. So here, here's where I am. Wonderful, wonderful. So let's start with the first part of your career, which is say, as, 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 as a journalist. Over the past two decades, what in your opinion are the changes that have taken place in journalism? And why I'm asking you this is because I've often written myself that, that the age of superstars in any career, whether it's the corporate world or whether it is the medical world or whether it's the journalist's world, that seems to be dying out now. What are the changes in your perspective that have taken place? You know, superstars, uh, uh, the difference today is that earlier superstars stood on a platform. So it was a platform plus the personality and that created the superstars. And if you were to remove uh, both, you would often find that once the so-called superstar was removed from the platform, the, the, the personality or the uh, aura around that person also, you know, literally halved uh, because, uh, uh, you know, they were no longer on the platform. And I think that's a very important lesson in, in general as well, uh, Ashutosh, because oftentimes we tend to believe that we are the organization that we work, work in. Uh, we, you know, there is a positive side to it because you own what you do and you want to be as passionate about it. But at the same time, if you start mistaking the organization for yourself and feel that you are everything and organization is you, that's when a problem begins. Mm -hmm. uh, today, we are in a far more, you know, so again, there are three parts to this uh, media transition. 
So we had very credible media organizations uh, which grew from, uh, you know, traditionally from pre-independence era to, uh, I would say, till, till uh, the 90s, till the end of 90s, uh, very solid print organization mm -hmm. uh, which grew, which, which were modern and which were progressive. Uh, then, of course, broadcast came and, and, you know, we moved to a completely different platform. But the whole piece about Superstar is also today that we are seeing a far more democratization of information and news uh, and media which is coming through. There are good parts to it and there are not so good parts to it. Uh, so the transition, as you asked, is really that from a limited number of media delivery platforms in multiple languages and in, uh, I would say, broadly print and broadcast, we have now moved to digital, uh, which has brought consumers directly in touch with what is happening on the scene. Mm -hmm. um, to that extent, it's terrific. Uh, but the role of an editor here is very important. And, you know, uh, you have a very strong corporate background. Uh, you will understand that what is the role of an editor? Uh, I, I also call the editor a news manager. Mm -hmm. What does a news manager do? There is information coming out uh, all the time from various sources. Uh, the editor has his own ground force that is getting the information based on certain protocols and processes. Mm -hmm. These are essentially filters. Mm -hmm. And when information is finally converted and processed, it, it becomes a knowledge or a news report. It is presented. So when you as a consumer get it, either in print form or broadcast form, uh, it is being vetted to some degree. And there is some responsibility and ownership of the information which has been given to you. So even when there is a mistake, you know that you can go back and correct it and double check it or verify it. You know, and, and a very old adage in media has been, news media has been, when in doubt, leave it out. If you're not sure about it, don't talk about it. Mm. So that piece has, has shifted. Mm. Uh, and that's where the negative part comes in, where while we have moved from a point where maybe a half a dozen or a dozen organizations decided what was news yeah. to maybe, you know, 100 million people deciding what is news. Correct. But the problem is that those 100 million people don't have those filters in place. Mm. So we are not able to assess what is correct, what is not correct, uh, what is what is being vetted, uh, what is genuine, what is not genuine, what is opinion, what is manufactured. Hmm. So while there is a lot of debate about fake news, hmm. uh, the the natural part of it is that because everybody feels, well, you know, this is happening in my neighborhood, so it must be happening across the world. Let's put it out. And then people feel, well, if it's happening in a neighborhood, the entire city uh, is, is, let's say, if there's, there's flooding in one uh, colony of one city, hmm. uh, and somebody says, well, the entire city is flooded. Look at this video. You assume that the entire city is underwater. Okay. Um, but in a news organization, the perspective would be there, context would be providing. Uh, so while there is a democratization, there's also a weakening of filters. Uh, so we are going through this transition where over time we will have to figure out a way that in a social media context, how can we bring back filters so that people are in a better position to assess what is genuine and what needs to be discarded. Well said. And I completely agree with you. But my uh, a follow-up question to that is that when I was growing up, I could, I was, you know, I had to form all my opinions based on the editorial that I would read or the news item that would come in the newspaper that I was reading. 
today i have the ability to express myself through social media so i'd love to get your thoughts because i have my view is that social media has democratized news for the common man so absolutely uh, you know uh, i think you're you're also uh, alluding to the views part of it so in media there are two very significant pillars hmm. news and views and there was always a wall between them and there is a third part which is the revenue oriented activities which was a second wall so if you took at any new look at any news organization uh, there are three pieces news opinions and the revenue generating and there are walls between each right. of course uh, editorial collectively is news and opinion both hmm. now opinion again is divided into the editors of the newspaper who take a opinion or a position on on a particular issue and that's what you see in the editorials correct at the same time on the editorial page there could be comments and columns by other people who could take a counter view uh, so that itself is split so what it enabled you as a reader to do uh, or is is to say well this is one opinion this is another opinion you are in a position to process it and say well my opinion in this which could be completely divergent from what was or maybe an amalgam or a synthesis of what what has been expressed uh, into opposing views initially in the early years the only way you could express it by writing a letter to the editor in the hope that it gets published uh, but today you can go out there and post your views on any social media platform then depending on your influence and your connected connections and people who know you you will you will find the right kind of uh, attraction to it so yes there is a lot of democracy in views as well in see everybody had views so even when you were growing up ashutosh the views that you formed were partly because of the media but also were partly influenced by your atmosphere and your immediate uh, personalities around you your family your colleagues your your peers mm. uh, and therefore the thoughts that formed in your mind were a combination of all that and of course uh, the opinion pages played a played a important role sure. i think a similar process is still on today uh, except that the points of information that we get mm. are far more so even if you had a view on a certain subject earlier maybe you could you know chat with 10 people today you have the views of 100 people you know uh, looking at you and you have access to that simultaneously within 10 minutes of an event occurring so uh, i think it's really a lot of uh, it's it's not just quality but also the quantity impact which we have to process absolutely and well said so pranjal let's move to uh, your book in fact two books india automated how the fourth industrial revolution is transforming india and the, the second book is z factor let's talk about india automated first tell me about your hypothesis for this book it uh, it occurred you know there's a book which uh, was published before this it's called kranti nation and uh, that uh, uh, was inspired a little bit by the whole uh, definition of startup nation how israel describes itself mm-hmm. uh, and kranti the way i saw it was israeli um, is an acronym of knowledge research and new technology in india india missed out on the industrial revolutions if you remember in the Uh, you know centuries ago india was actually a very strong manufacturing base we had a great shipbuilding industry we had a terrific textile industry and uh, during the colonial times and the british raj uh, there was uh, uh, an active effort to destroy them um, not just through economic measures but literally physical measures you know looms were destroyed and uh, we were made to be dependent on imports and the whole 
narrative today of of exporting raw material and importing uh, finished goods uh, was artificially created we were exporters of finished goods yeah. and therefore uh, the subsequent revolutions which happened we missed uh, uh, it's largely the industrial revolution and then uh, when when we found independence we had a socialist structure which also meant that government decided everything and you know there may be real imperatives why we had to go for that at that uh, time of the um, era but effectively our own abilities were never allowed to function now the whole concept of fourth industrial revolution happened uh, in recent times where you know after the 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 invention or the discovery of steam engine and electricity and computer chip the connected world which the fourth industrial revolution presents which is really an umbrella term for everything from from robots and automation to drones to precision medicine to ai etc right i have been i had been part of several conversations at the world economic forum Uh, where this uh, phrase was being discussed uh, in relation to what's happening in US and Europe mm. and it struck a thought in me that you know what about india what's happening in our part of the world mm. and that led me to start talking to my friends and people i knew in the industry to say well what's going on and many turned back and said well actually we are using some of these technologies so that led to the creation of the first book uh, which said that fourth industrial revolution and the world's best technologies are available in india not just available they are being deployed by uh, some of the biggest uh, business houses as well as uh, startups so india automated is is a, a second part of that uh, journey of transition uh, i like to call it a chronicle uh, it's it's really a case study you know it's a collection of case studies of how people are using it Mm. not just in the private sector uh, ashutosh but also in the government and which is the fascinating part that mm. you know state governments and municipalities are experimenting with drones and uh, blockchain and various things mm. uh, just because they feel that there's something in there they don't really quite understand it but they're trying various pilots which are happening and mm. honestly there's nobody there's no one entity in the country which would probably have a great visibility so the attempt was really to show that automation is rising in india mm-hmm. automation is is equated to robotics uh, only but it's also about process automation it is also seen as a negative force wherein jobs are taken away mm-hmm. my hypothesis was that automation is rising it has negative effect but it's also bringing efficiency transparency uh, to several aspects of our lives uh, both from the government delivery perspective to the uh, products and services offered by by private companies mm. so while it does have a negative impact the question is how do we prepare for it because we want the positives out of it but we have to mitigate the negatives right. so the book uh, also argues in in terms of saying that let's work towards what can be done to mitigate negatives and uh, further accelerate the positives very interesting and it's very heartening to note that you're saying that these emerging technologies are now being uh, accepted across the country including by government agencies absolutely ashutosh it's it's happening uh, you know um, the the point is that state governments officers uh, municipalities all are aware that something is happening now the engagement between private sector and government is not just happening at the national level it's happening at multiple levels right. so startups are now you know governments are far more open to working with startups it's not ideal yet but you know a good idea comes somebody says well let me try a a, a pilot project on this 
every officer at every level has a little bit of freedom in terms of taking discretionary decisions uh, and i think uh, some of the good officers are taking that and saying well let me try to see whether can i use a drone to lay a pipe in a certain neighborhood uh, of a city uh, if it works it's fantastic uh, somebody says why can i use face recognition to check whether there is uh, uh, attendance of students and teachers in school mm. now of course everybody there could be an argument well you know you undermining privacy and all that and enough protocols are not in place but mm. my view is that you have to start somewhere go for it see what are the goods and what are the bads and then try to build the guardrails around them so one more question you know you obviously done a lot of research on what's happening in our country as far as the industrial fourth industrial revolution is concerned but i keep hearing from a lot of people that countries like vietnam bangladesh indonesia are really taking away the opportunity of manufacture something that india has wanted to do why is india uh, not being able to attract so much manufacture so that's a that's i think we are in the middle of that debate right now ashutosh uh, especially in a post covid and a post a conflict with china world i think this is a very big question that uh, the country is facing i think over the last few years while manufacturing was encouraged at some point our competitiveness uh, uh, didn't match the standards mm-hmm. and competitiveness is a factor of two things one of course the infrastructure and the facilities and the regulatory ecosystem that the companies uh, perform uh, within and i think that's not that's not kept up pace uh, while we talk about ease of doing business and the rankings have improved i think ground level situations have not yet met the expectations or the perception mm-hmm. uh, that has been projected and i think work is on on that front but still much needs to be done yeah. second is i think for various reasons i i hold the industry uh, responsible to i think our industry for various reasons has um, always been low on the risk taking side we are while we have a great tradition and great instincts of entrepreneurship it's also was access based entrepreneurship mm-hmm. uh, and that uh, has hampered the willingness of companies to take risks and to innovate or to invest in uh, research and development mm-hmm. uh, and therefore our competitiveness has not improved to the extent that it should Uh, companies would prefer to get a license their first instinct is still if i can get a license mm-hmm. and i can stop other four guys from getting a license i am in a better position then you know i am in a i am i'm safe uh, yeah. for me that is that is market creation therefore i think we have to struggle on both ends forcing the government to open and also stopping the industry from not allowing the government to open you know so there is also a counter force in the country so while at a public level a lot of industry uh, leaders would say that well we should open up but actually they said open up every other sector but don't open my sector mm-hmm. and you know this was seen in media as well even today ashutosh i can speak from media sector's perspective today that ra- news on radio is still not allowed only akashwani which is the national broadcaster mm-hmm. can offer news on radio now in today's age where you know uh, information is available on your phone to uh, 500 million people who have uh, internet access on cell phone i think it's quite pointless uh, even today in broadcast news we have uh, foreign equity uh, caps and regulations part of that is also uh, you know some 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 argue that it's important because other countries don't allow it so we should not also but the the broader point i'm making is that india is not a manufacturing base 
simply because both the government and the industry have failed to create the right kind of atmosphere for it. Right. Very interesting. So, Pranjal, moving on, you know, uh, you do a lot of work with the World Economic Forum. I, I, I've been to Davos several times, but that was in the 90s. Over a period of time, how has the World Economic Forum evolved? Uh, so, you know, Davos has uh, completed 50 years uh, of, of its events uh, this year in uh, January 2020. 50 mm -hmm. years were completed and I was there as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been affiliated and, and involved with the World Economic Forum events for about 20 years now. Mm -hmm. At some point, I joined the Global Agenda Council. I'm not a I'm not a employee, but uh, what they created very very sensibly is an extended brain trust of people, uh, which were which were um, categorized according to their interests, their abilities, and their domain expertise. Yeah. And they always meet and they they come up with issues and are, uh, and and matters which are then scaled up to a larger level. Um, so while it started as a very small club of uh, Europe and America-oriented business leaders, uh, it has evolved quite interestingly to becoming uh, a far more widespread body. I think it's also a reflection of how industry has changed uh, from working only for profit for itself and its shareholders. Industry realizes that uh, stakeholder capitalism is an important aspect of uh, uh, what what they do, and that's what uh, the founder, Professor Klaus Schwab, has has always argued and has been arguing now in the last few years, saying that business is not for itself. Business is for for uh, is playing a role in the betterment of the society, uh, and I think that's still a narrative which is not uh, seeped through yet. I think 2008 was a very important turning point when we saw that absolute greed led to uh, situations which was not being uh, which was not justified. So because capitalism got a bad name and it still is trying to get out of that uh, terrible reputational knock, uh, I think we are in a position where uh, bodies like the World Economic Forum who have over the decades built terrific networks with policymakers, uh, global business leaders, uh, social leaders uh, to say that can we build a new narrative uh, around growth. Mm -hmm. where growth is far more inclusive. Earlier, the issues of inclusive growth was seen as a, a you know, far-left propaganda or a very, very a social NGO kind of perspective. But today, I think uh, the most uh, or many business leaders realize that it's an important piece. So today, I think World Economic Forum has, has come to this piece of stakeholder capitalism. Moreover, uh, I think they have moved from a purely achievers club to those who are uh, or achievers club who are maybe in their 40s, 50s and 60s or older to creating other communities. So they have created a community of global shapers, which are people in their 20s. Uh, they have created communities of young global leaders. They have created uh, communities of innovators, of scientists. Mm. Uh, in the end, it also is driving home the point that businesses, which was the original club, have to work with all these constituents to work together because you know you cannot just be working in isolation and and hope that the world will take care of themselves because if the companies are based are focused on consumers they have to be involved in the consumers lives as well thank you that was very well said so Pranjal, i have time for a couple of quick personal questions for you sure um first question is that you know over the years have there been any people who had a strong influence on your life and if yes, what have you learned from them? So Ashutosh, I, I would not want to, uh, 
identify any single individual yeah, uh, of course parents mm-hmm. of course parents uh, because you know when you grow up your value system is baked into you uh, in your formative years on who you are what you want to be and i think that is something which i'm very grateful to my parents and i think all of us uh, have have uh, absorbed terrific uh, value systems from from our immediate surroundings but over the years what uh, i did is that whenever i admired a trait in a person uh, i uh, tried to emulate that and absorb it so no one person is perfect including uh, you or me so whenever i found something which is which is exciting which i thought was relevant um, i admired that person for that particular trait see if i could follow in that footsteps and over the years i think i have been able to grow by trying to pick up little pieces from different people and see if that can apply to me and if that can make my uh, my own growth uh, more meaningful very interesting and my last question to you and that is you know as someone who spent so much time in journalism and who's you know achieved a lot and is a very senior person what would your advice be to a lot of young individuals who are starting their careers as journalists more so now as you said earlier on about there not being any kind of way to vet the news or to have, have any kind of gatekeepers etc and in the name of so much in, in in a world with so much fake news what should they be looking at as to build their careers you know um, there is uh, there is a there is a statement which i live by and i think that's very important not just for uh, students of media but uh, i think all students and perhaps uh, people uh, like us, uh, us as well which is uh, my simple advice is try being informed rather than being opinionated okay which means that go for the facts question and get into what's going on don't live on borrowed opinion uh it's very easy to say well i heard that person say that this is bad so i think it's it's terrible and i'm against it but mm-hmm. where is your own critical uh, uh appreciation of it where is your own critical uh, thinking on it mm-hmm. how have you been able to check whether that opinion what is the ground for that opinion there has to be some fact on it right. so uh, opinion without fact is prejudice and mm-hmm. my advice to everybody getting into media or any professional because i think even those who are joining the corporate world uh need to know which what is the context they are uh, working in so if you are not informed then you can't make an informed opinion you know if you are no if you don't know whether a certain product will sell or not it has to be rooted in the consumer context so therefore both for news as well as for management students and practitioners i would say that uh, facts are very important pranjal thank you so much it's been such a pleasure having you on my show and good luck with everything that you're doing thank you ashutosh and wonderful being here thank you for listening to the brand called you video cast and podcast a platform that brings you knowledge experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.